Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Live Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Friday evening where we continue our reflections into the Gospel of Mark this second Sunday of Lent as we have been journeying to the first chapter of Mark over the course of seven different weeks. Quite remarkable seeing that the Gospel of Mark is this fast-paced narrative. Once again, you would never know that seven weeks in one chapter. Uh, We will remain in the Gospel of Mark, but we're going to fast forward. This is what happens when you're in these special seasons of Advent and Lent. Uh, So second Sunday of Lent, we will be in Mark, I believe, what, chapter uh, 9, verses 2 to 10. We're going to take up the Transfiguration this evening, uh, but we're going to do something a little unconventional. We're going to get into the first reading. You know, the first reading is that great narrative that comes to us from Genesis 22, that gets into Abraham taking Isaac up the mountain, and there's just too much there. And certainly that mystical encounter that Abraham has with God's messenger really projects towards our gospel narrative with the transfiguration. So it is Friday evening, and uh, I do have Debbie Rizals in the studio with me. So Debbie, great to have you with me another Friday. Thank you for having me. Debbie, uh, this evening... As I just noted, we're going to get into Genesis as well as Mark. But I wanted to speak briefly, Debbie, to uh, something that has been close to my heart as it relates to our Lenten practice, and that is uh, the gift of time. Yes, we make sacrifices in our Lenten practices as we give up that pleasure that we are most attached to, but let us not forget the sacrifice of time and specifically how it plays out in how we are called to be proactive during Lent, just not in our sacrifices, but how we are serving our neighbor. So whether it be your local Jesus Center or maybe your local convalescent home, be present to this call that is before you and before all of us, Debbie, to give of your time. Very important. With that, Debbie, I will go ahead and read from the book of Genesis. And again, this is the first reading at Genesis 22, Uh, verses 1 to 2, 9 to 13, and then 15 to 18. Okay. God put Abraham to the test. He called to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son Isaac, your only one whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. There you shall offer him up as a holocaust on a height that I will point out to you. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. Then he reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the Lord's messenger called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Do not lay your hand on the boy, said the messenger. Do not do the least things to him. I know now how devoted you are to God since you did not withhold from me your own beloved son. As Abraham looked about, he spied a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So he went and took the ram and offered it up as a holocaust in place of his son. Again, the Lord's messenger called to Abraham from heaven and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you acted as you did and not withholding from me your beloved son, I will bless you abundantly. 
and make your descendants as countless as the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. Your descendants shall take possession of the gates of their enemies, and in your descendants all the nations of the earth shall find blessing. All this because you obeyed my command. Amen. Well, Debbie, when you pay close attention to this reading, uh, certainly you can begin to see how Christ is the prophetic thrust of the Old Testament. And what begins to kind of shine forth is that great biblical principle of typology, how one patriarch and prophet after another prefigure Christ. What do we read in Romans 5.14? Adam is a type of Christ. We find Christ lay hidden, as St. Thomas Aquinas says, in shadowy symbols of the Old Testament. Christ himself says what in John 5, 39? You search the scriptures because in them they bear witness to me. He's talking, Debbie, the stuff of the Old Testament, okay? Because the Old Testament prefigures Christ and how he fulfills all of the great uh, prophecies of the Old Testament. Uh, What was it that Philip said to Nathaniel? We have found the fulfillment of the Mosaic law, this Jesus of Nazareth. What does he say on the road to Emmaus? He is teaching them, the disciples, huh, who were following him, how he is a new Moses. One week after another, we take this principle of typology, how the Old Testament leaves an impression of Christ, and we gain a deeper understanding of how God works in salvation history. And I don't know if there's any one greater example, Debbie, than this narrative of Abraham and Isaac and how Christ is a new Isaac. We have just this beautiful story, rich in typology. It's the typology of Christ and his Eucharistic sacrifice on Calvary. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, people may, in the audience may be going, what is she talking about? But bear with us a little bit. So we have Isaac, this miracle child, born to his mother and father at the ages of, you know, 190, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. approximately. He's an only and beloved son. And it mentions that just as Jesus, only and beloved We are um, watching Isaac and Abraham going up a mountain, and Isaac is carrying the wood of the sacrifice on his shoulders, much like our Lord did. They're heading to Mount Moriah, which um, history tells us is the same mountain range. In fact, maybe the same peak. It took three days to get up the Mm -hmm. mountain. And, And I thought about this. I thought, what torture for Abraham to be thinking about this for three days Mm -hmm. and trusting our Lord. So when he gets there, he builds an altar. It's significant to this day. Our sacrifice, our Eucharistic celebration is celebrated on the altar. We have a knife. Abraham presents a knife in which to uh, kill his son. And we have a sword at the story of the crucifixion. And the most beautiful and telling observance is the ram. We Mm -hmm. have Isaac being exchanged for a a ram, a lamb. And Jesus, of course, is our lamb of God. And after the angel intervenes, we have a tota sacrifice. We have Mm -hmm. Abraham presenting a tota sacrifice, meaning a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And our mass, our Eucharist, is our thanksgiving to God for Mm -hmm. saving us. So much more than this is here, but beautiful and rich typology for the Eucharistic sacrifice for our salvation. Amen. Yeah, and a, a couple other tidbits there, Debbie. You had mentioned the Todah. Of course, there our Lord is on the cross, 
uh, saying, What my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here he is literally quoting Psalm 22, which is a Todah hymn. Very important, because when you hear those words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If I read this in the first century, I'm thinking of Psalm 22, and just not Psalm 22, but the context to which Psalm 22 comes to us, which is this great liturgical thank offering to God. Uh, so certainly uh, one can well imagine, if you're not there, of course, on the cross, but you were reading this in the first century, how this would have overwhelmed you. Um, so very, very rich. And another striking piece, Debbie, if you go to Genesis 22, uh, verse 8, the messenger says, uh, the Lord will provide the lamb. Okay, so what does he do? He provides the ram for the sacrifice, as you noted. Now, what's so striking about this is the Hebrew word for provide or provide the lamb is Jeru. Remember, at this point, Mount Moriah is in the city of Salem, okay? In the Hebrew, it's the city of peace. At this point in history, it's no longer, that is, after Genesis 22, 8, the city of Salem, no, it's the city of Salem, it's the city of peace, where God is going to provide the Lamb. It is now Jerusalem. Jeru, again, translating provide or provide the Lamb. And of course, as you noted, Debbie, this is exactly what God does on that very spot. He provides the Lamb of God, His own beloved Son. And isn't that telling? <laughs> this language of, of sonship. You are going to read the gospel here in a bit, and what are we going to hear? I think our listeners are familiar with the story of the transfiguration. God says what? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. The greatness of Abraham's call was his response of listening, his faithfulness. Remember what the word faith means in the Hebrew, the emunah, faithfulness, firm response, response of listening. Paul in his letter to Rome uh, Romans 1, 5 and 16, 26 speaks of the obedience of faith, or the obedience that springs from faith, or the obedience that is faith. What is he talking about? That response of listening. Romans 1, 5 and 16, 26 highlight the greatness of Abraham's faith because he listened. Amen. All right, with that, Deb, let us go to Mark 9, uh, verses 2 to 10. You know, we have this great encounter between Abraham and God up on a mountain, well, there's another great encounter that we're going to read about now. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Mm. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say. They were so terrified. Then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them, and from the cloud came a voice, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. As they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone, except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. Amen. So over recent days, Debbie, 
on this radio program, we have been talking about the stuff of mystery, and we're going to rekindle some of the subject matter tonight and really put it in the context of this uh, mystical encounter that Peter, James, and John have with our Lord. Now, before we get into that, though, I just want to touch upon something Benedict XVI says as he's reflecting upon the Transfiguration, and specifically the mountain, because it really does offer us a segue into into where we want to go for the rest of our program. He says this, When we inquire into the meaning of the mountain, the first point is, of course, the general background of mountain symbolism. The mountain is the place of ascent, not only outward, but also inward ascent. It is a liberation from the burden of everyday life, a breathing in of the pure air of creation, It offers a view of the broad expanse of creation and its beauty. It gives one an inner peak to stand on and an intuitive sense of the Creator. Debbie, I absolutely love that brief reflection because it really touches upon the essence of what we are talking about as it relates to the mystical. You know, Debbie, we use the word mystical, and I can hear our listening audience say, what? What is mystical? Well, what is mystical? Mystical is the experience of spiritual things within the ordinary that leads to a keen conviction that the experience is far greater than the ordinary, which forms and informs the ordinary. Why is this so important for us, Debbie? Well, it's the point I've been making over this past week. We are a people that yearn for mystery, are we not? We love a logical puzzle. We love a suspenseful whodunit where we're analyzing data and and we're gathering in a clever way all these clues. It just, it fascinates us. We are a nation and quite honestly, a world that is willing to spend millions of dollars so as to discover what's up there in the sky. And at the same time, spend the same amount of money to discover what sits at the bottom of our ocean floors. Why? Because there's something within us that pines for the unknown. I was noting this past weekend at at a mission, you know, if you were to go to all of the top television programs, you'll find on top a number of CSIs, right? CSI Las Vegas, CSI Miami, CSI Boston. I think there's a new one. I just heard about this yesterday, actually. CSI Cyber, okay? What's going on here? Crime scene investigation, this forensic science. It's all about mystery, Debbie. Mm -hmm. It's all about mystery. Everything that we're talking about right now, it points to a deeper truth, a deeper reality. And I know I've been saying it all week, but I could never say it enough because really, what is mystery? Mystery, when you get into the Greek mysterion, literally means inexhaustible reality. But we can do a little better than that, Debbie, because the the Greek verb there that really we get the word mystery is meo. It is to initiate one into a religious experience. That sounds a little bit like the definition for mystical theology, does it not? So it's just not about the inexhaustible reality. No, it's actually a religious encounter. We use the words experience. We should also use the word encounter because I think encounter brings to life what's really going on here because it's just not some arbitrary what I think. When you're talking about the stuff of mystery as it relates to the one true God, it's an encounter with the incarnation of God. And this, of course, is what's going on with Peter, James, and John, is it not? They have this encounter. They have this mystical encounter, Mm. not with what they think, Debbie, not with some ideology. Mm -mm. No, 
It's with a person. You know, Debbie, we are a people who look at life as a problem to be solved suddenly, as opposed to a mystery to be lived continuously. If we understood that life in of itself is a great adventure, that mystery itself is a great adventure, and in that context it is to be lived continuously in the grace and joy of Jesus Christ, what that would do for our world, Debbie, what that would do for our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We're so busy trying to solve the puzzle sometimes that I think we forget what the bigger mystery is all about. Uh, It reminds me of something my father used to remind us of. Every time we would set off on a car ride or a walk or a run, he would always remind us, okay, our destination is blah, 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 but we must enjoy the journey. Mm -hmm. Don't get so wrapped up in getting to the finish line at the end of your 5K, but look at the flowers. Look at the squirrels playing. Look at, enjoy that every moment realize the presence of God with you at every moment. I mm-hmm. mean, this is, a, this is a discipline. This is what Lent is about, folks. It's mm-hmm. about discipline. Mm. And when we start looking with different eyes at this journey that we're on, this beautiful pilgrimage we're on with its ruts and bumps, mm. um, yeah, our, our destination is heaven. But don't forget the journey, mm-hmm. the here and the now. Mm. It's how we affect one another. I think it would be important, Debbie, as you are talking beautifully about the importance of the journey itself, that this event that takes place on this mountain, the Transfiguration, comes right before Christ's passion and and his entrance into Jerusalem, right? You've heard me quote uh, uh, the theologian Mary Caucus before. He talks about the Transfiguration as being the middle mountain, right? The first mountain is the Sermon on the Mount, and of course, the last mountain is Mount Calvary. So you have this middle mountain, This mountain that is so important that we are encountering just not the human Christ, but Christ's divinity, because it's his divinity that restores us and nourishes us. It's his divinity that shows us how to be more human. He gives us the stuff of the divine so that in our humanity, we might share in the very life of God. And it's interesting, Deb, if you look at the word transfiguration itself and you translate the Greek, what do you get? The essence of the transfiguration is this idea that without ceasing to be who he was, Christ is now something more. Apply this to our own life in light of what I was just talking about. We never stop being who we are, okay, in our humanity. But when we receive the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ, we now become something more. This is why we are never to be reduced to just what we do. Because who we are is always something more, especially when it means being in relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen to that. And this being more is realized in these mystical encounters, are they not? You know, Debbie, in the spiritual life, we are never just looking at something per se, a picture, but always looking into it and through it to see beyond it. This is what it's all about. This is why mystical theology and the aforementioned mystical experiences that we are talking about are so important to the new evangelization. Because it is in light of these mystical encounters that we engage each and every moment, each and every encounter that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ with a new set of lenses, huh? We are looking into the encounter, through the encounter, beyond the encounter, seeing the potential of the yet unseen from the encounter. This is what lies at the heart of the new evangelization. 
We were talking before the radio program this evening. Pope Francis declaring St. Gregory of Narc, doctor of the church. He's a mystic. huh? This past week, we've been talking about it. The last four doctors of the church, they're mystics. It is not a coincidence, Debbie, but a God incident that the last four doctors of the church are mystics, especially in these last three pontificates, because these last three pontificates have been about ushering in this new mission of the new evangelization, okay? Our religious encounters have a lot to do with what we do in our evangelization. I mean, Debbie, let us just circle back here for a second to Abraham. Out from this great encounter between Abraham and God, you have the greatest blessing in the whole Old Testament, the great covenant from Genesis 22. Out from an encounter, you have a moment of blessing and evangelization. Think about Moses and the burning bush. Amen. I'm just really humbled by Abraham's trust and faith in God. Mm. But let's, let's look at our own lives here. I don't think I've ever had a suffering so great that God has not given me the grace and the encounter with him, the experience with him prior to that suffering. So let me explain. Before Abraham takes Isaac up the mountain, there is a relationship, an experience with God. He's talking. He's talking back and Mm -hmm. forth with the Mm -hmm. Lord. And the Lord says, I'm going to test (laughs) you. I want you to take your son. But they have this... They have this relationship already where he trusts the Lord. He knows he can trust the Lord. The Lord's never going to throw us into a test or a type of suffering that he hasn't equipped us for. Mm-hmm. The same is happening in the transfiguration. What's going to happen in the suffering and death of our Lord is grueling, gruesome, and he's empowering these disciples. He's giving them a boost of faith Mm -hmm. so that that passion doesn't destroy their faith, Mm -hmm. doesn't destroy them. Mm -hmm. We're no different, folks. It's the same God, the same blessing, the same grace. Just remember that. Reach out for it. Ask for those graces. Ask for the Holy Spirit to dwell and, and pour himself into you every day. The grace is there. As you're talking there, Debbie, I'm made to think of the two thieves. Are we going to be the thief on the right who looks at Jesus and says, you say you're the Christ, save me, take me down from this cross. Or are we going to be the thief on the left who accepts his cross as the the due punishment? And he looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does our Lord say? Today you will be with me in paradise. And as Fulton Sheen once said, the thief that stole heaven. Do we want down from our cross? Or are we going to accept our cross? If we want down from our cross, we will not receive Christ. If we accept our cross, by the grace of God, we will hear those words. Today you will be with me in paradise. Debbie, when you talk about the cross, there's always that great truth that comes from the cross. And it's those very words from the cross. We say, I'm going through something excruciating. Remember that when you say that, you are saying you're going through something that is excruces from the cross. So what is before us, my friends, ultimately is to enter into the suffering that comes before us, call upon his grace, and accept the goodness that he has for us, even in the midst of trial and suffering. Remember what 1 Peter 4.13 says, we are called to rejoice in the suffering because it is in that moment 
where we know we are closest to God. Pray for that grace. Okay, I was hoping to get into uh, this business of what Peter's all about. Mm-hmm. We don't have much time to do this, but I want a listening audience to think about this critically. Okay, so they have this mystical encounter with our Lord, and Peter wants to literally pitch tent. He wants to build booze. Now, certainly this gets into the Old Testament Feast of Tabernacles, mm-hmm. and there's a rich biblical theology there. But I do think there's something else to be had. In our history, there have been church to prove, okay, apparition sites. Mm-hmm. Our Lady of Guadalupe, okay, uh, I think maybe the most familiar, the most popular. Uh, Our Lady of Lourdes, Our Lady of, of Fatima, all of these places where Mary appeared and uh, many miracles have taken place are now places of worship, not of Mary, but of Jesus and the one true God. Mm-hmm. Huge, great cathedrals and structures and and basilicas and buildings and churches and all the rest. It's fascinating to go to these places. Why am I talking about this? When you have a mystical encounter, what do you want to do? Well, you want to build booths. You want to build churches. You want to worship at that spot, mm-hmm. no matter where you are. For Peter, it was up on that mountain. He had this mystical encounter, and he wanted to build a cathedral, Debbie, <laughs> because this is what happens. Sure. All you want to do is worship the one true God. And I know there's a rich biblical theology, and I've actually gotten into it a great deal in the past, uh, in past radio programs. But as we focus in on what mystical means, and ultimately what it leads to, this is the key that unlocks the mystery. It is just not about some arbitrary encounter, some arbitrary religious experience. No, it points to something much deeper. It points to that which is objective. The Magi. They actually found someone. These mystical encounters lead to the person of Jesus Christ and ultimately the worship of Jesus Christ and a deeper union, mystical union with Jesus Christ in Debbie, what you talked about earlier, the Eucharistic sacrifice. Amen. We have this beautiful opportunity through the example of both of these readings tonight of obedience. Mm -hmm. Obedience without having to question and have full understanding. Abraham didn't start firing off questions for God. What do you mean I'm going to sacrifice Mm -hmm. Isaac? What do you mean? The one you gave me? He didn't do any of that, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. He started packing for the trip. We all have, what are we going to do with that opportunity that God gives us to be obedient so that he can bless us? Amen. Amen. And, and, And I hear maybe some of our listening audience right now, Debbie, saying, well, didn't Mary question? For clarification... Mary question in the truest sense of what, what it means to question, right? To question in its Latin means to seek to understand. Zechariah questioned in the contemporary sense of questioning. He was doubting. doubting. No, mm-hmm. Mary simply is doing what we are all called to do, and that is to seek to understand. Is not theology defined as faith-seeking understanding? So very important, and of course, this also at the same time highlights Abraham's great response, really. Oh. His great just personal entrustment to God. All right, Debbie, I think we're out of time. Great program. Thanks again for joining me this evening. It's always a joy to have you in the radio studio. Thank you. And uh, I know for our listening audience, they um, appreciate it as well. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.